Part five of The Praise of Folly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Praise of Folly by Desiderius Erasmus. Translated by John Wilson. Part five. And next, these may be reckoned those that have such an itch of building. One while changing rounds into squares, and presently again squares into rounds, never knowing either measure or end, till at last, reduced to the utmost poverty, there remains not to them so much as a place where they may lay their head, or wherewith to fill their bellies. And why all this? But that they may pass over a few years in feeding their foolish fancies. And, in my opinion, next these may be reckoned such, as with their new inventions and occult arts undertake to change the forms of things, and hunt all about after a certain fifth essence. Men so bewitched with this present hope that it never repents them of their pains or expense, but are ever contriving how they may cheat themselves, till, having spent all, there is not enough left them to provide another furnace. And yet they have not done dreaming these their pleasant dreams, but encourage others, as much as in them lies, to the same happiness. And, at last, when they are quite lost in all their expectations, they cheer up themselves with this sentence, in great things the very attempt is enough, and then complain of the shortness of man's life that is not sufficient for so great an understanding. And then, for gamesters, I am a little doubtful whether they are to be admitted into our college, and yet tis a foolish and ridiculous sight to see some addicted so to it that they can no sooner hear the rattling of the dice, but their heart leaps and dances again. And then, when time after time they are so far drawn on with the hopes of winning that they have made shipwreck of all, and, having split their ship on that rock of dice, no less terrible than the bishop and his clerks, scarce got a life to shore, they choose rather to cheat any man of their just debts than not pay the money they lost, lest otherwise, forsooth, they be thought no man of their words. Again, what is it, I pray, to see old fellows and half-blind to play with spectacles? Nay, and when a justly deserved gout has knotted their knuckles, to hire a caster, or one that may put the dice in the box for them? A pleasant thing, I must confess. Did it not, for the most part, end in quarrels, and therefore belongs rather to the furies than me? but there is no doubt but that that kind of men are wholly ours who love to hear or tell faint miracles and strange lies and are never weary of any tale though never so long so it be of ghosts spirits goblins devils or the like which the further they are from truth the more readily they are believed and the more do they tickle their itching ears and these serve not only to pass away time but bring profit especially to mass-priests and pardoners. And next to these are they that have gotten a foolish but pleasant persuasion that if they can but see a wooden or painted polypheme Christopher, they shall not die that day, or do but salute a carved Barbara in the usual set form that he shall return safe from battle, or make his application to Erasmus on certain days with some small wax candles and proper prayers that he shall quickly be rich." Nay, they have gotten a Hercules, another Hippolytus, and a St. George, whose halls most religiously set out with trappings and bosses there wants little but they worship. However, they endeavour to make him their friend by some present or other, and to swear by his master's brazen helmet is an oath for a prince. 
or what should I say of them that hug themselves with their counterfeit pardons, that have measured purgatory by an hourglass, and can without the least mistake demonstrate its ages, years, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds, as it were in a mathematical table? Or what of those who, having confidence in certain magical charms and short prayers invented by some pious impostor, either for his soul's health or profit's sake, promise to themselves everything, wealth, honour, pleasure, plenty, good health, long life, lively old age, and the next place to Christ in the other world, which yet they desire may not happen too soon, that is to say, before the pleasures of this life have left them. And now suppose some merchant, soldier, or judge, out of so many rapines, parts with some small piece of money. He straight conceives all that sink of his whole life quite cleansed. So many perjuries, so many lusts, so many debaucheries, so many contentions, so many murders, so many deceits, so many breaches of trusts, so many treacheries bought off, as it were by compact, and so bought off that they may begin upon a new score. But what is more foolish than those, or rather more happy, who, daily reciting those seven verses of the Psalms, promise to themselves more than the top of felicity? Which magical verses, some devil or other, a merry one, without doubt, but more a blab of his tongue than crafty, is believed to have discovered to St. Bernard, but not without a trick. And these are so foolish that I am half ashamed of them myself, and yet they are approved, and that not only by the common people, but even the professors of religion. And what? Are not they also almost the same, where several countries avouch to themselves their peculiar saint? And as every one of them has his particular gift, so also his particular form of worship. As one is good for the toothache, another for groaning women, a third for stolen goods, a fourth for making a voyage prosperous, and a fifth to cure sheep of the rot, and so of the rest, for it would be too tedious to run over all. And some there are that are good for more things than one, but chiefly the Virgin Mother, to whom the common people do in a manner attribute more than to the Son. Yet what do they beg of these saints but what belongs to folly? To examine it a little. Among all those offerings which are so frequently hung up in churches, nay, up to the very roof of some of them, did you ever see the least acknowledgment from any one that had left his folly, or grown a hair's breadth the wiser? One escapes a shipwreck, and he gets safe to shore. Another, run through in a duel, recovers. Another, while the rest were fighting, ran out of the field, no less luckily than valiantly. Another, condemned to be hanged, by the favour of some saint or other, a friend to thieves, got off himself by impeaching his fellows. Another escaped by breaking prison. Another recovered from his fever in spite of his physician. Another's poison, turning to a looseness, proved his remedy rather than death. And that to his wife's no small sorrow, in that she lost both her labour and her charge. Another's cart broke, and he saved his horses. Another preserved from the fall of a house. All these hang up their tablets, but no one gives thanks for his recovery from folly. So sweet a thing it is not to be wise, that on the contrary men rather pray against anything than folly. But why do I launch out into this ocean of superstitions? Had I a hundred tongues, as many mouths, and a voice never so strong, 
yet were I not able to run over the several sorts of fools, or all the names of folly, so thick do they swarm everywhere. And yet your priests make no scruple to receive and cherish them as proper instruments of profit. Whereas, if some scurvy wise fellow should step up and speak things as they are, as, to live well is the way to die well, the best way to get quit of sin is to add to the money you give the hatred of sin, tears, watchings, prayers, fastings, and amendment of life. Such or such a saint will favour you if you imitate his life. These, I say, and the like, should this wise man chat to the people, from what happiness into how great troubles would he draw them? Of this college also are they who, in their lifetime, appoint with what solemnity they'll be buried, and particularly set down how many torches, how many mourners, how many singers, how many almsmen they will have at it, as if any sense of it could come to them, or that it were ashamed to them that their corpse were not honourably interred. So curious are they herein, as if, like the aediles of old, these were to present some shows or banquet to the people. And, though I am in haste, yet I cannot yet pass by them who, though they differ nothing from the meanest cobbler, yet tis scarcely credible how they flatter themselves with the empty title of nobility. One derives his pedigree from Aeneas, another from Brutus, a third from the star by the tail of Urza Major. They show you on every side the statues and pictures of their ancestors, run over their great-grandfathers and the great-great-grandfathers of both lines, and the ancient matches of their families, when themselves yet are but once removed from a statue, if not worse than those trifles they boast of. And yet by means of this pleasant self-love they live a happy life. Nor are they less fools who admire these beasts as if they were gods. But what do I speak of any one or the other particular kind of man, as if this self-love had not the same effect everywhere, and rendered most men superabundantly happy? as when a fellow, more deformed than a baboon, shall believe himself handsomer than Homer's Nereus. Another, as soon as he can draw two or three lines with a compass, presently thinks himself a Euclid. A third, that understands music no more than my horse, and for his voice as hoarse as a dunghill cock, shall yet conceive himself another Hermogenes. But of all madness that's the most pleasant, when a man, seeing another any way excellent in what he pretends to himself, makes his boasts of it as confidently as if it were his own. And such was that rich fellow in Seneca, who, whenever he told a story, had his servants at his elbow to prompt him the names, and to that height had they flattered him that he did not question but he might venture a rubber at cuffs, a man otherwise so weak he could scarce stand, only presuming on this that he had a company of sturdy servants about him. Or, to what purpose is it, I should mind you, of our professors of arts? For as much as this self-love is so natural to them all, that they had rather part with their father's land than their foolish opinions, but chiefly players, fiddlers, orators, and poets, of which the more ignorant each of them is, the more insolently he pleases himself, that is to say, vaunts and spreads out his plumes. And like lips find like letters, Nay, the more foolish anything is, the more it is admired, the greater number being ever tickled at the worst things, because, as I said before, most men are so subject to folly. And therefore, if the more foolish a man is, the more he pleases himself and is admired by others, 
to what purpose should he beat his brains about true knowledge, which first will cost him dear, and next render him the more troublesome and less confident, and lastly please only a few? And now I consider it, nature has planted not only in particular men, but even in every nation, and scarce any city is there without it, a kind of common self-love. And hence is it that the English, besides other things, particularly challenge to themselves beauty, music, and feasting. The Scots are proud of their nobility, alliance to the crown, and logical subtleties. The French think themselves the only well-bred man. The Parisians, excluding all others, arrogate to themselves the only knowledge of divinity. The Italians affirm they are the only masters of good letters and eloquence, and flatter themselves on this account that of all others they only are not barbarous. In which kind of happiness those of Rome claim the first place, still dreaming to themselves of somewhat, I know not what, of old Rome. The Venetians fancy themselves happy in the opinion of their nobility. The Greeks, as if they were the only authors of sciences, swell themselves with the titles of the ancient heroes. The Turk and all that sink of the truly barbarous challenge to themselves the only glory of religion, and laugh at Christians as superstitious. And much more pleasantly the Jews expect to this day the coming of the Messiah, and so obstinately contend for their law of Moses. The Spaniards give place to none in the reputation of soldiery. The Germans pride themselves in their tallness of stature and skill in magic. And, not to instance in every particular, you see, I conceive how much satisfaction this self-love, who has a sister, also not unlike herself, called flattery, begets everywhere. For self-love is no more than the soothing of a man's self, which, done to another, is flattery. And though perhaps at this day it may be thought infamous, yet it is so only with them that are more taken with words than things. They think truth is inconsistent with flattery, but that it is much otherwise we may learn from the examples of true beasts. What more fawning than a dog, and yet what more trusty? What has more of those little tricks than a squirrel, and yet what more loving to man? Unless, perhaps you'll say, man had better converse with fierce lions, merciless tigers, and furious leopards. For that flattery is the most pernicious of all things, by means of which some treacherous persons and mockers have run the credulous into such mischief. But this of mine proceeds from a certain gentleness and uprightness of mind, and comes nearer to virtue than its opposite, austerity, or a morose and troublesome peevishness, as Horace calls it. This supports the dejected, relieves the distressed, encourages the fainting, awakens the stupid, refreshes the sick, supplies the intractable, joins loves together, and keeps them so joined. It entices children to take their learning, makes old men frolic, and, under the colour of praise, does without offence both tell princes their faults and show them the way to amend them. In short, it makes every man the more jocund and acceptable to himself, which is the chiefest point of felicity. Again, what is more friendly than when two horses scrub one another? And to say nothing of it, that it's a main part of physic and the only thing in poetry, tis the delight and relish of all human society. But tis a sad thing, they say, to be mistaken. Nay, rather, he is most miserable that is not so. For they are quite beside the mark, 
that place the happiness of men in things themselves, since it only depends upon opinion. For so great is the obscurity and variety of human affairs that nothing can be clearly known, as it is truly said by our academics, the least insolent of all the philosophers. Or, if it could, it would but obstruct the pleasure of life. Lastly, the mind of man is so framed that it is rather taken with the false colours than truth of which if any one has a mind to make the experiment, let him go to church and hear sermons, in which, if there be anything serious delivered, the audience is either asleep, yawning, or weary of it. But if the preacher, pardon my mistake, I would have said declaimer, as too often it happens, fall but into an old wife's story, they presently awake, prick up their ears, and gape after it. In like manner, if there be any poetical saint, or one of whom there goes more stories than ordinary, as, for example, a George, a Christopher, or a Barbara, you shall see him more religiously worshipped than Peter, Paul, or even Christ himself. But these things are not for this place. And now, at how cheap a rate is this happiness purchased? For as much as to the thing itself a man's whole endeavour is required, be it never so inconsiderable. But the opinion of it is easily taken up, which yet conduces as much or more to happiness. For suppose a man were eating rotten stockfish, the very smell of which would choke another, and yet believed it a dish for the gods. What difference is there as to his happiness? Whereas, on the contrary, if another's stomach should turn at a sturgeon, wherein, I pray, is he happier than the other? If a man have a crooked, ill-favoured wife, who yet in his eye may stand in competition with Venus, is it not the same as if she were truly beautiful? Or, if seeing an ugly, ill-appointed piece, he should admire the work as believing it some great master's hand, were he not much happier, think you, than they that buy such things at vast rates, and yet perhaps reap less pleasure from them than the other? I know one of my name that gave his new-married wife some counterfeit jewels, and, as he was a pleasant droll, persuaded her that they were not only right, but of an inestimable prize. And what difference, I pray, to her, that was as well pleased and contented with glass, and kept it as warily as if it had been a treasure. In the meantime, the husband saved his money, and had this advantage of her folly, that he obliged her as much as if he had bought them at a great rate. Or what difference, think you, between those in Plato's imaginary cave, that stand gaping at the shadows and figures of things, so they please themselves and have no need to wish, and that wise man who, being got loose from them, sees things truly as they are. Whereas that cobbler in Lucian, if he might always have continued his golden dreams, he would never have desired any other happiness. So then there is no difference, or, if there be, the fools have the advantage, first in that their happiness costs them least, that is to say, only some small persuasion, next that they enjoy it in common. And the possession of no good can be delightful without a companion. For who does not know what a dearth there is of wise men, if yet any one be to be found? And though the Greeks for these so many ages have accounted upon seven only, yet so help me, Hercules, do but examine them narrowly, and I'll be hanged if you find one half-witted fellow, nay, or so much as one quarter of a wise man, among them all." For, whereas among the many praises of Bacchus they reckon this the chief, that he washes away cares, and that too in an instant, 
do but sleep off his weak spirits, and they come on again, as we say, on horseback. But how much larger and more present is the benefit you receive by me, since, as it were with a perpetual drunkenness, I fill your minds with mirth, fancies, and jollities, and that too without any trouble. Nor is there any man living whom I let be without it, whereas the gifts of the gods are scrambled, some to one and some to another. The sprightly, delicious wine that dries away cares and leaves such a flavour behind it grows not everywhere. Beauty, the gift of Venus, happens to few, and to fewer gives Mercury eloquence. Hercules makes not everyone rich. Homer's Jupiter bestows not empire on all men. Mars oftentimes favours neither side. Many return sad from Apollo's oracle. Phoebus sometimes shoots a plague among us. Neptune drowns more than he saves, to say nothing of those mischievous gods, Plutos, Aetus, punishments, favours, and the like, not gods, but executioners. I am that only folly that so readily and indifferently bestows my benefits on all. Nor do I look to be entreated, or am I subject to take pet, and require an expiatory sacrifice if some ceremony be omitted. Nor do I beat heaven and earth together if, when the rest of the gods are invited, I am passed by or not admitted to the stream of their sacrifices. For the rest of the gods are so curious in this point that such an omission may chance to spoil a man's business, and therefore one has as good even let them alone as worship them. Just like some men who are so hard to please and withal so ready to do mischief, that tis better be a stranger than have any familiarity with them. End of part five.